I'm Brandon Bartnick, and this is the Future of Mobility podcast. We're at an exciting time in the mobility sector, with new technology causing us to continually question the way that we move both goods and people. My job is to talk to the individuals leading this revolution, and to investigate the challenges and opportunities we face as we develop safer and more sustainable mobility. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing on Apple Podcasts and leaving a rating. Today I'm joined by Michelle Mueller. Michelle has spent over 25 years with the Michigan Department of Transportation and works as a senior project manager for connected and automated vehicles at MDOT. Michelle and I talk about the role of connectivity on future mobility solutions, the ways in which the state of Michigan is thinking about building transportation infrastructure for connected and automated vehicles, the importance of working with cutting edge industry partners to define future technology roadmaps, and much more. Please enjoy my conversation with Michelle Mueller. So today we welcome on a special guest, Michelle Mueller. Michelle, thank you for joining. Uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. So Michelle, if you wouldn't mind, could you please start by giving a, qu- a quick background on uh, kind of, I guess, what you're doing now and then also the path that took you there? Sure, I would love to. Um, so I uh, actually currently work for the Michigan Department of Transportation. Um, I manage our connected and automated vehicle environment in Southeast Michigan. Um, that includes everything from uh, planning type activities, um, funding, and then also uh, the design, construction, operations, and maintenance, um, pretty much from, from one end to the other. And then um, I started my career um, right out of college uh, with, the, with the MDOT and have had the opportunity to um, experience different portions um, of the Department of Transportation thus leading me through um, design, construction, even our, um, I worked with our intelligent transportation system for quite a while, and now into moved into the connected and automated vehicle um, environment. So it's been a, a good transition over the past uh, 25 years and to see different uh, types of things and then evolve into technology that we're dealing with from a connected and automated vehicle space. So what is it about I guess now looking at the current role, the connected and automated space, um, that, that's interesting to you. So what's interesting to me really is um, the opportunity for safety and mobility. So we can make a um, infrastructure system that provides, our goal is to get to zero fatalities. Um, mm-hmm. We think that the connected um, and automated vehicle environments can get us there. Uh, we think that we can save um, lives of citizens in Michigan and then obviously those who visit and, and then keeping people moving, right? So we, we take very seriously um, in trying to get people home to their families, right? We, we work, um, we all have activities to do and things and it, there are things that we can do from a mobility perspective so that people can spend more time with their families and doing um, their personal life and activities, then uh, we strive to do that every day. Yeah, it makes sense. So I guess taking a very high level view, so automated driving, I think people have a good feel for, and yeah, it's anything that the car is doing, ranging from, say, cruise control, adaptive cruise control up to um, the car driving itself, um, even on, on the far side. Could you give a, a quick overview, I guess, what the, the connected piece on is and, and how that might matter and make a difference? 
Yeah, so the connected environment um, for us here in Michigan, we look, um, so the automated environment that you were referring, uh, there is uh, portions of the autonomous vehicle, right, which were a lot of the things that you were talking about. And then we refer to it as automated because we do strongly feel that the vehicle, the autonomous vehicles that are operating our infrastructure um, need to be connected as well. And the reason for that is, is that those vehicles need to know from um, interactions with the infrastructure, whether it be uh, signing information for, say, exits or speeds and things like that, um, down to traffic signals, um, guardrail location, different things and aspects to the infrastructure that those vehicles need to know exist um, and are on those roadways. We may someday get to a point, right, where um, that some of those features of the infrastructure aren't there, right? We may not need exit signs. We may not need traffic signals. We may not need the overhead um, intelligent transportation system signs to provide information to the motorists. Um, but right now we do. Um, mm -hmm. And then those autonomous vehicles uh, need to understand a relationship between their operations and the infrastructure operations. And from a connected uh, aspect without even, you know, talking to the autonomous side of it, the connected aspect is the same, right? When you're functioning and, and operating and those vehicles are connected to infrastructure, you can give them such things as signal timing, right? You can improve mobility if the um, information is transmitted from the signal system into the vehicle. You mm -hmm. can reduce emissions. Um, you can give information about pedestrians that maybe the um, vehicle and or driver cannot see, you know, when they're operating. So as you connect the vehicle um, to the infrastructure elements, you can give and provide safety things um, and elements that don't exist um, or can't be today, right? Things that people can't see, you can give that information to the vehicle and you can then pre prevent um, crashes from happening and or impacts with pedestrians and things like that. Yeah, so you, you touched on a, a few interesting points there. So I guess the, the first one you mentioned in the future potentially not needing the 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 signage that we're used to driving around and correct me if i'm wrong but so that that essentially comes into play only once we get to the point when all the roads or all all cars on the road are automated is, is that correct yeah so in order to start taking away those types and that's why i said it's in the future right things yeah, that you yeah, look exactly. at in the future um, are once the once you have complete saturation of the system um, for those vehicles that have that type of technology, and we're to a point through the um, cybersecurity, the legality things, and all that, where you have 100% saturation, then you can start looking and um, taking away those elements. But when you still have vehicles that um, are, do not have that technology which we will for a while, right? It's going to take a long time to get 100% saturation, in all honesty. Uh, you need the blended. And what we're working to do and consistently looking forward is what does that blend look like? And the further out we start to look, what are those changes from an owner-operator perspective, such as us as a Department of Transportation? And we work with our locals, whether it be our counties, our cities, our villages, about what does that outlook look like? You know, how do you plan and budget for operations and maintenance um, and replacement of, of things on the infrastructure that maybe or maybe won't be there? So it's, it's a, a very large unknown, to be honest. We don't know exactly what that time frame will be, but there are things that are all in the conversations as we continue to move forward. And how do you take those um, infrastructure elements and, and tools that we use to give information to drivers today? And how do you turn those into more of a virtual or automated type environment? 
Yeah, and that, that makes sense. And I think the, the point I was getting at, which you just nailed right here, um, is yeah, d- despite the fact that we're a long way off from having every car on the road being automated, that doesn't mean that we can't begin to or and continue to um, benefit from the these aspects of connectivity that allow us to, to drive more safely, et, et cetera. It is. And you know, the percentage of error from the human, just because of our natural human, there's no, there's no negative negativity against anybody driving, right? We all, we all think we're great and perfect drivers. We do nothing wrong um, because that's the nature of the beast that, you know, you and I and everyone else believes to be for our driving habits. Um, however, a large percentage of errors and crashes that happen today are due to human error. Um, mm-hmm. They're not due to, you know, vehicle or infrastructure elements and things like that. So when you start looking at these technologies and the things that you can do to prevent these from happening and provide that additional safety, those are lives saved, right? And they are, um, it's, it's priceless. You know, a career goal of mine has always been, if, if I end my career saying I saved a life um, on our infrastructure system and things, it's a career win, right? And it's a yes. long career, but um, every life, you know, every life matters to us. And that's why, you know, from an infrastructure standpoint, Michigan is very invested in the connected and automated environment because we can make our roads safer um, and we can take away the human error part of it, at least a, a pretty large percentage of it. And we can provide that safety to people on the roads today. Yeah, it's a powerful thought. And it, it certainly, it, I guess that's part of what draws me to to this type of technology as well, just the the ability and the, the potential to make a, a real impact on, on lives. And as you mentioned, yeah, the goal of saving a life is a, certainly a noble one. Um, so, so slightly changing, so same topic, but slightly changing gears, thinking about infrastructure and the installation of these different connected um, aspects on, on a given road or in a given area. How do you think about the decision for I guess, what to install, where to install it, when to install it, et cetera. Because it, it seems like a bit of a chicken and an egg type situation where this technology is being developed by suppliers and OEMs um, in parallel with when we're trying to get the infrastructure in place. And yeah, you need the infrastructure to be able to communicate. But at the same time, you need the communication to actually take advantage or you need to know what is going to come before you can really know what to put in the infrastructure. So, so how do you think about that? Yeah. So uh, we've, which is no news, right? Uh, Michigan's been very um, highly vested and involved in the connected on vehicle environment for years. Um, we, you know, have um, a advantage in all honesty, because when we built our intelligent transporta- transportation uh, system infrastructure, such as, which is our cameras, our signs and things on our um, freeway network, that we actually um, put in, um, replaced, I guess, a, a communications infrastructure of wireless and actually installed a robust fiber system mm-hmm. on our freeway network. So as we t- did those, made those decisions um, and moved forward into the connected and, and automated vehicle environment at the time, we had a robust communications infrastructure in place, uh, which is a huge asset um, for a, an owner operator. So as you look at those things and you start to um, understand the benefits that we saw from the system, we did a, a very large um, effort internally in reaching out to our industry partners. Um, and those are industry partners, you know, initially started with some of the auto manufacturers, in all honesty, a lot of conversations, 
Um, we really went out on a limb um, and we, you know, invested in those relationships um, and we continue those today. So a lot, um, I would say every relationship we started with, we still have today and we've grown on that. And we've added, um, you know, software partners, transit partners, um, large companies, small companies, every end of the spectrum, I can tell you, um, my group in Southeast Michigan deals with all the time. So, you know, the understanding of this is, um, in Michigan is, is set very well for the different environments of going from a testing facility uh, environment, you know, and we've got two different um, settings for those, plus we've got um, others with universities to then take those lessons learned of the development of the technology and put those into the real world of our inf on our actual infrastructure where you're interacting with other um, vehicles, you're interacting with real live infrastructure components. So as we continue to look forward, um, you know, we do an assessment of relationships based on um, what those opportunities are for Michigan, right? What the opportunities are as a Department of Transportation to come to the table and be part of those projects. And we think very highly of our industry partners and the development that they're doing in a lot of cases right here in Michigan um, and keep them here in their you know, backyard to continue that development. And um, I can't express enough how much those partnerships have brought us forward. Hello. Oh, there you are. Sorry, I think it, we lost connection. So sorry about that. So so yeah, last thing you were saying um, was, I think the last sentence I heard was you think very highly of your your industry partners in Southeast Michigan. Uh, yep, and we continue, you know, um, through those partnerships. Right, we look at um, what are areas where we uh, do a crash analysis. So we look at our different road network, um, both from a freeway and an arterial perspective, and we look at the types of crashes we see on those, um, mm -hmm. the infrastructure. And we do an assessment of that to say, what are solutions from a, um, from a infrastructure, right? We've done that all, all many, many, many years. That didn't just start. And look at solutions to provide um, safety and mobility uh, alternatives. Now, as we move into connected automated vehicle, we bring a whole new scope of tools to the, the sandbox to say these are other solutions. Maybe it's a backup queue, maybe it's red light violation, things like that, where you can now take that information from the, the connected infrastructure, you can bring that into the vehicle and you now have a whole new set of tools um, to utilize for the safety and mobility. So um, we can't do that alone. It's not just the infrastructure piece. Um, we are very adamant and we are very vocal about that that um, it takes all of us. It takes us, it takes our industry partners, it takes our software developers, and it takes our testing facilities and things to cohesively make this environment um, for this technology to develop and actually bring it into to real world environments. Huh, yeah, it definitely sounds like a, I guess a, a complex problem, but uh, yeah, one with a, an approach that makes a lot of sense. So if, I guess if I can maybe quickly summarize just to make sure I understand. So basically you're, you're working with the industry to try to understand where technology is going so you can apply accordingly. And then at the same time, looking at traffic data and, and uh, incident data to, to try to figure out the best locations and the best technology to put at that location. Is that, I know it's, it's very simplified, but is that accurate? 
Yes, exactly. Yeah, um, it is. It's a it's an iterative process, right? And you have to understand, um, you know, as people as the companies are developing the technology in areas, right? And they go out, and we do a um, partnership for a deployment of it. Uh, the testing, you know, of that is we have the before data, right? We understand what the crashes were and what was happening. And now, even with a test vehicle fleet, realizing we're not at that hundred percent saturation, right? It's not all the different vehicles out there. It's utilizing um, with those test vehicles to understand these are the advantages, right? This is how the system works, and this is putting it to use with these test vehicles. Now, how does that come? How does that correlate with what we see from the crash perspective, and what can that reduction actually be, right? And do we um, now provide? Maybe it's we see it on ten vehicles, but then you take that and you say, if we did this on hundred percent of the vehicles, here's what actually here's the reality of what would happen. Um, we have that data and we share that with our industry partners so that they can really in real life understand, you know, it's one thing to develop something. It's another thing to develop something to solve a challenge that's happening. Um, mm -hmm. So as from an MDOT perspective, we are very much forward thinking in that data is important and the challenges on the infrastructure and, and we partner with people to solve those challenges that we have today. And how about from a, a traffic flow perspective, have you found that this type of communication and this type of infrastructure can have a significant impact on the amount of vehicles that can move through a, a given roadway at a, a given time? And I guess, uh, yeah, the delays and things like that? Absolutely. So you can take, um, I can give you a couple examples of what that would be. So one would be if you look at information from a signal system, right? So if you can keep traffic flowing, um, there's many benefits. So one is um, people are not trying to beat the light, right? Um, it's also, which, which creates crashes. Um, people know where the pedestrians are, right? So now you have, um, whether pedestrians are utilizing the pedestrian crossing or their mid block, if you can get that information, you now prevent um, a potential crash from happening. Uh, but then you also have environmental benefits and things like that out of that type of situation. Mm -hmm. The other piece I would say for mobility is if you can do things, regardless of whether it's, like I was saying, for um, even curves, um, different types of applications you can do from a connected perspective, you mm -hmm. can now, if you're preventing the crashes, you're preventing the response that has to happen to those crashes, which is either to shut down the roads, shut down lanes, um, even if you don't have to shut something down, if it's on the shoulder, you still get delays, right? Traffic has to slow down. Um, it starts backing up, but then not only the direction of traffic that it's even in, say, on a freeway, but also in the opposite direction of traffic because people are looking, right? People want to yeah. know what's happening. It's a human nature. So it may be on northbound that it's happening, and of course, northbound traffic is impacted negatively, but then also um, it can, it impacts and has a large impact on southbound traffic in that case as well. So if we can do things to eliminate um, these crashes that are happening right there, you highly um, have an impact on mobility um, and keeping traffic moving. If, if we can tell people things they don't know, even for construction zones, right? Construction zones are very interesting in this space. If we can tell people um, if a, you know, a ramp's closed, you know, things like that, they may choose um, and select to take a different route as opposed to getting there and finding out it's closed. And now, you know, their mobility has been impacted, right? And we want to have a positive impact on that um, and get people, like I said, to where they're trying, whether they're trying to go to work or they're trying to go to home. You know, we want to make that as um, least disruptive as possible. 
Yeah, and it's interesting you touched on the, I guess, the emissions and sustainability aspect, which I, I don't think I had thought of much until you brought that up. But it certainly makes sense that if you have less cars that are you know, stuck in a traffic jam or even cars that are less often um, tapping the brakes and, and slowing down coming up to um, stop lights or if you can avoid the stop altogether by communicating the, the timing for a signal or by preventing crashes, then that certainly prevents a, a pretty sizable chunk of emissions, I would assume. Absolutely. Cool. So I guess also, so pivoting once more here, thinking about how this helps or could potentially help to position uh, Southeast Michigan or Michigan as a whole as kind of a technology center. So do you think having this type of infrastructure in place um, is makes a significant impact on, I guess, the companies that and the universities that are, are in the area and that are, I guess, enticed to have more development take place here since there's more, um, I, I guess, ease of use of publicly available infrastructure for testing of these types of vehicles. Is, is that something that you think about as well? Um, I do, and we do it every day, to be honest. Um, yeah. We do, uh, and actually, you know, when we started, like it was explaining before, you know, quite a few years ago in this space, um, we were doing a ton of outreach to companies and find partners and share potential opportunities and understand what that picture looks like. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm very happy to say, because I, I take great um, pride in this, is that we have many times now companies are coming to us with ideas and things. Um, we are a very open for business um, state. We uh, encourage innovation. We encourage companies to bring what they're developing and the the tools um, that they have developed for safety and mobility here to Michigan, even if they're here or they're not here. Um, And we encourage that. Um, We work very hard to partner. We work, not only is it just from an MDOT perspective, um, but I will tell you many of our partnerships have either started and or in a lot of cases moved where we have different entities involved. So we may start a relationship with somebody and as we kind of expand, accomplish the first part of that scope and move on, we interact um, all the time with say the Michigan State Police is a great example. Um, This connected and automated technology is a huge impact on law enforcement that that can't be disregarded. And it's not only the police, it's the fire and the ambulance and services and things. But um, we work with, uh, like I said, the state police all the time. We take them um, to things with us in the industry to see technology. They've given a ton of feedback to companies and partners of ours of how this impacts a, a life that a lot of us never see, you know, from that emergency response area. And then the Secretary of State, you know, you start talking, the, when you get into the autonomous side, especially, um, there's a, the Michigan Vehicle Code, right? There's legislations um, that have passed and things. So we work with companies to help them through those processes, whether it's getting the license plates, filling out materials, um, whether it's understanding what the legislation actually allows them to do. Um, and we help them through that. We are their partner. Um, we are vested in that. We don't just throw them out there and say, well, you got to fill out this form. Um, we help them do that. We help with the connections and then even such things as counties, right? So some of the projects we have, it may be a state trunk line, but it may be going through one of our local agency jurisdiction areas. Um, we bring them to that project. We bring them in as a partner into the table because they learn, um, they're learning the connected and automated vehicle stuff um, elements as well. 
and these projects, um, technology that's available. And now we have seen success where they take that, um, those learnings, say Macomb County is a great example. They started, we brought them in on a, on a project we did in Macomb and now they're doing their own system. So it's not just MDOT roads, they don't stop. Um, you know, we, we always say that it may be a state trunk line but they intersect with local agency um, roads. And they also intersect with other state roads, right? Eventually you go to Ohio. In our case, we have a couple um, international borders with Canada. We do a lot of work um, with our Canadian partners around this connected on And how does that transition when a car goes from the United States across a border into Canada? Um, you know, what does that actually look like? So, uh, you know, that whole ecosystem of all these different areas and different partners um, this is one, this connected automated vehicle um, area encompasses just about everything you can possibly imagine, which makes it just super exciting. Um, and those opportunities holistically um, are priceless, to be honest. Yeah, that's awesome. And thinking about the, the everyday driver, is this, is this something while we're on the road, so say thinking in the short term, the next, next up to five years or, or so, do you think it's something that that someone driving down the road will consciously see the benefits of these types of things? Or is it more of a, yeah, they'll get to enjoy the benefits of, of some of these actions that you're taking without maybe knowing and seeing exactly how it's happening? So I think it's a mix. Um, there's systems on vehicles today that a lot of people are driving that um, fit in the, this category, right? If you take um, adaptive cruise control, Mm -hmm. Right. So you've got safety benefits associated to that that are on a lot of vehicles already. Um, you take the blind spot warning uh, lane departure systems like that exist today. I have those on my car. Forward yep. collision warnings. Um, people don't, some, you know, depending on kind of your level of you know, involvement in the connected space and things to understand that those systems are part of this space. Right. Mm -hmm. Those systems um, and you can talk to people driving those vehicles that will tell you that they have prevented crashes. Um, they have prevented people, uh, they've got people in their blind spot when they're changing lanes and it's actually prevented crashes from happening. So we are seeing with these systems that are avail readily available today um, on a large number of vehicles, we're seeing those benefits happening and people are seeing the advantages to those. Um, we, I have heard you know, quite a few stories for forward collision where it's actually prevented somebody, they've either been distracted and for some reason, um, regardless of what that reason may be, and that forward collision warning went on and actually prevented them from rear-ending somebody. Um, mm -hmm. A rear-end can be maybe a little you know, ding in something minor, but a rear-end can also um, be much more extreme. So, so I think you know, to, to answer your question is um, the systems exist today may not be a full, obviously a fully autonomous car that's, you know, driving our kids to um, school or something like that, but it is systems um, that are already showing safety benefits. And now we're building on those and adding other components to continue to build that connected and obviously incorporate that into the autonomous. Um, so the, the benefits are there right in front of us and, and people are actually seeing those and getting value out of them today. Yeah, and, and from a, uh, I guess, consumer adoption standpoint, uh, I know kind of the the default is, is maybe being skeptical of these new types of things, taking the control out of the, the hands of the driver, since I guess this, despite the data that we are not safer drivers than a computer and all these human errors that you touched on, it's just intuitively, you know, it feels good to be in control. 
but these types of situations that you mentioned, such as preventing a a collision, uh, yeah, seem to one or yeah, often just one of those seems to make a believer pretty quickly once they once you can yeah get a can tangible example of uh, a collision that has been avoided. Yeah, and it's interesting, you know, and um, you know, to that point is we do we do a lot of brainstorming around that, right? It's um, safety is hard to um, show people value in unless it hits home to them, right? Mm-hmm. When you talk in big picture, the number of fatalities um, in Michigan and across the U.S. is they're big, they're large numbers, right? We can reduce those, um, but they are only meaningful numbers typically to people in the space, right? Such as us. Um, but they're meaningful to people who may have lost somebody in a traffic crash um, or a pedestrian impact or something like that because it personally hit home to them. So a lot of the outreach and messaging um, that we work on and do is how do you get that um, into somebody on a personal level, right? Just showing a bunch of stats of numbers and fatalities and things has an impact on a percentage of people, but the larger impact comes when you actually get it to um, their own personal world and their own personal understanding of how it benefits them. If you look back through the um, how cellular phones came about, right, with the flip, the bag phone, the flip phone, you know, that whole, you look at that trend and what really transferred people, um, there was a lot of nervousness that happened from the flip phone into a smartphone because people became more susceptible to um, feeling vulnerable, right? They felt like people could see them and know what they were doing and all of that. But what the transition really happened was when people realized there's personal benefits to moving to a smartphone, right? You had your email, you had, you know, all the, you could access the internet, you could do all these things you couldn't with a flip phone that gave you and I um, personal benefit every day. So we made that choice to do that leap. Um, not because of the technology. We did it because of the personal benefit associated that the technology brought us. Um, We are seeing the same trend happen from a connected and automated perspective as people are becoming more willing um, and more understanding and as they start to see the personal benefit of movement of themselves um, and or family, right? If you if you take somebody um, who's in a situation where they have um, a family member, let's just say, for example, that has a disability, um, maybe they have a vision impairment. If you now take in that person potentially cannot get to doctor's appointments, maybe their family um, can't leave work to take them. You now bring in autonomous, uh, you know, automated vehicle technology where um, they now have opportunities that they have never had. It's a life-changing impact to them totally different quality of life um, that you can now provide people that they didn't have before, right? So, I mean, how incredibly amazing is it that somebody who has a vision impairment now has the ability to get to the doctor or get to um, visit a family member or things that maybe could not leave their house before um, because of that. Those are things that we we have to share with people so they understand outside of the deep technology and in the weeds conversations that we love because we do it every day. Um, People don't, that's not what they like my phone, right? I don't, I don't want to know every nook and cranny of how it functions and operates from a technology perspective. I want to know that it does what I want it to do and it gives me opportunities I didn't have. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is the same. So um, it's very rewarding when you kind of, when you start to really look into the different um, areas and the impacts that this will have. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, and it's certainly a, it's a powerful, uh, powerful field, and uh, 
yeah, something where hopefully we can make a, a nice impact here. So appreciate the thoughts. Um, I'd like to quickly, I guess, switch to, over to rapid fire questions. So just a couple of quick questions, I guess, more, more focused on kind of you personally. Um, sure. So the first one, are there any particular, is there a particular book or any particular books that have had a significant impact on you? Um, I would say uh, I'm not a, I will first be very transparent that I'm not a huge reader. Um, yeah. I tend to have an issue when I read that I, it puts me to sleep in some cases. <laughs> so, um, so I will be, you know, transparent in that. Um, I do tend to, for personal um, reading, I uh, have an author of uh, Ellen Hildebrand that I um, typically read all of, you know, her books and things. But um, in context of, uh, I'm not a huge uh, reader. <laughs> yeah, I got you. I mean, especially there's so many different, ways of uh getting in and sharing information so yeah, mm -hmm. certainly not the only way uh, second question how about ho personal hobbies of yours or anything i guess outside of work that you particularly enjoy or are passionate about um i so outside of work i have um two children uh, currently that are um, one actually just graduated college is in on our way to law school um, the other one is uh, graduating from middle school and going into high school so um, my family is uh, huge to me. I spend a lot of time um, with them and in, in doing different things. Um, mm -hmm. Hobby-wise, I, I live in the woods. Um, I love birds, and I have um, I feed them very well in all different ways. So um, that's probably between that and photography. I enjoy um, you know different nature photography, and of course you know photography of my children doing their activities and things. So. Very cool. And, and I guess the last uh, I guess somewhat real question is, um, so thinking about your personal strength. So as an individual, uh, is there anything in particular that you or that, I guess, if, if someone or if you were to ask, if I was to ask someone around you, they would say that you do particularly well, that has helped to enable you to to make the impact and had the success that you've had so far? Yeah, so I would uh, probably say a couple areas um, in, I would say that because they're, they've been near and dear to my um, heart, no matter really what uh, area I'm in. One is um, communication is key to me. Um, I think you could ask anyone from my personal and my work life. Um, I'm a big communicator. I think it's very important, good, bad. Um, you know, I have a standing rule that uh, you know, just um, honesty and communication are key. You know, moving from there, um, like I said, on, honesty is huge. And then also um, from a, a worked environment is really um, innovation and providing um, partnerships. So I value partnerships, um, whether they're internal, external, combination of both. And I value those and what people can bring to the table um, in all different ways, right? So it's not necessarily always, you know, money and for a project or, things like that. It's the value they bring in the investment. Um, I get a lot of excitement when companies that we partner with, which is honestly all of them, um, we typically don't pay for those partnerships. They come to Michigan to partner because we have an, a great ecosystem and we help them build with our Planet M partners and stuff. We help them build um, their business and we help them in the economically and things here in Michigan to um, create a, a new office environment and things. So um, I take that very seriously. Um, I take whether they're big or small, it honestly really doesn't matter to me. We treat them all the same. 
And that is a huge part of um, my drive, um, obviously for the safety and mobility in Michigan. Awesome, thank you for sharing. Uh, so the, the final, I, I guess, open any question. So a couple of things. So one, is there any place in particular people um, can find you, get in touch with you if they have questions or any websites, et cetera, that you'd like to send them to if for more information. And then also just open-ended if, if you have any anything we didn't touch on or any parting thoughts that you'd like to share. Yeah, so um, you can uh, always available to reach out to me um, at my email address, which is M-U-E-L-L-E-R-M-2. That would be the number two at michigan.gov. Um, you can, uh, anyone can feel free to reach out if you have additional questions. Um, if you have any innovative ideas, if your company is looking to uh, do test technology software, um, you name it, around the connected and automated environment, um, please reach out to me. Michigan is open for business. Um, we work with partners each and every day. We can help as well um, connect with our economic development branch of MEDC and things like that. Like I said, the ecosystem is huge here in Michigan. Um, we're the only state that actually has that ecosystem environment. So, you know, I encourage anybody who is listening to this, if you have an interest, please reach out to me. We uh, are happy to have a conversation, see where it can go, understand what you're working on. And, and even if it's not necessarily something that from an infrastructure standpoint connects with us, we have a ton of other partners and things that your technology may connect to provide solutions for them. So uh, please, you know, the opportunities are open if you have questions around legislation, um, plating and autonomous operations here in Michigan, um, we can provide all of that, the information and resources for that as well. Great. Well, Michelle, this has been fun. I, I really appreciate you taking the, the time to talk and uh, yeah, hope to talk soon. Yes. Thank you. Thanks for the time, Brandon. And um, if there's anything else I can do or information I can provide, please always feel free to reach out. All right. Thank you. Thank you. This is the Future of Mobility Podcast.